Are you ready, Reese, with that? Okay. All right. Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to be. Romans 8. I'm going to read 28 through 30. Uh, I know we read those verses last week, but we didn't get very far. So we're going to look at that again. Uh, we are thinking over the next few weeks about the good God. And just to kind of bring everybody up to speed of where we are, if you ask probably any Christian in any church anywhere, is God good, they're going to say yes. Everybody knows the answer, right? Is God good? Yes. And you know the little song, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. You've, you've heard that. So we, we know the answer. It's just when, when things don't go well, when life seems to fall apart, when circumstances are not at all what we want it to be, that's when this little whisper happens in our heart that says, I'm not so sure. And maybe we wouldn't even say it out loud. Maybe we would be afraid to say it out loud. But somewhere inside of us, we begin to question, is God really good? And, and, and we're not saying everything that happens to us is good, because it's not. Sometimes those things are outright evil that happen to us. But what this scripture tells us is staggering. It's alarming. It's, it's just right there in your face. And if you take it to heart, it's amazing what it says. And that's what I want us to look at, because the good God does these things. So this is what Romans 8.28 says. And we know. Maybe we know. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called... He also justified and these whom he justified he also glorified let's pause here and pray father in heaven it is amazing when we read these words to think that you somehow take every single thing that ever happens to us or that we ever see that happens to us and somehow you bring good from it we don't understand that, but we believe that you are good, and we want to understand this better. So as we think about it today, would you help us? Because we want to see more of your purpose fulfilled in our lives, the lives you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in my Bible, I write, and I take notes, and I underline, and sometimes I circle. Okay, so if you're ever looking through my Bible and you see something that's highlighted, well, that was important to me for some purpose. If I underlined it, that meant something to me. I probably needed it underlined for some reason. But if I circled something, that's big for me. I mean, it's just my little key for how I do things in the Bible. Let me tell you something I have, I have circled in my Bible. In verse 29, in my Bible, it's the third line of the verse. Okay, it may not be that way, the way your Bible's turned out. But these words in verse 29, I have circled conformed to the image of his son conformed to the image of his son i've got that circled because what that reminds me of is that all of these verses right here that somehow we know that god takes all things as it says 
and he works them together for good, all of that is for a certain kind of purpose. And that purpose is in verse 29, so that we will be conformed to the image of his son. So somehow what that means to me is that when bad things are allowed to come into my life, or even evil things are allowed to touch my life in some way, that God, will, the good that God's going to bring out of that in some way or another is to conform me to the image of his son. And to give you a quick comparison of that, think about what happened to Jesus. So many of the things that happened to him in this world were not good, and they were outright evil. People came to him, and they tested him. They tried him. They tried to trap him. They did all of these things. And we're not even talking about the end of his life where they beat him and crucified him. We're talking about before that when people came and, and tried to, to set snares for him. Okay, But all of those things were for a purpose, God's purpose through his son in this world. So take that and, and bring it to your life. So if God allows you to be snared, trapped, attacked, uh, something like that to happen, then part of what he's doing is he's using that to conform you, to press you, to change you, and make you more like his son. That's why I've got that circled in my Bible. Because all of this is so that we might be conformed to the image of his son. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just pray a simple prayer that said, God, I'm willing. I love you. Would you make me more like Jesus? And that would be it. Like you would just start changing, no pain, no struggle. You know, it would just it would just kind of happen each day. You would just have a little better attitude each day. You would think a little bit different, and each day you would become a little more like Jesus. You know, wouldn't that be great if it worked that way? But it, but here's the way it seems to work. We pray a prayer something like that. Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. I want to be more like Christ. I, I want to live my life in a way that honors you. We pray that, and then God allows hard things to happen. Difficult things to come into our life. Sometimes has us walk right into things that you just look around and go, man, this is evil. But it seems like that's what actually occurs as God is in this process of conforming us to the image of his son. It's like he puts on the pressure. So a lot of you are wearing diamonds, right, of some kind. And you know how you get a diamond, right? Lots of intense pressure over a long period of time. I don't think there were ever just diamonds in the earth. I think God made it that way, and it took you know, a piece of coal under all this time and pressure to become a diamond. And most of the things of great beauty in this world that, that have been made like that, that's what happens. It's some kind of If you've got silver on today, okay, it didn't start that way. It had to be put under heat, right? The impurities had to be brought out of it. It had to be basically boiled, right? The, the silver had to, to be under this intense heat for the impurities to come up and be skimmed out so that it could be the beautiful piece of silver that you have today. And if you could just think of your life in those ways, you, you might not want to think of yourself this way, but you had some impurities, you had some imperfections, you had some things that God wanted to remove from your life. And, and the way God does that is by turning up the heat and by allowing the difficulties and and by getting married. I'm just throwing that one out there for you. <laughs> marriage, marriage is not for everyone, okay? I, I, I need to stress that because one of the things we do in the church sometimes is we put such an emphasis on marriage, we make it sound like if you're single, somehow you're not doing what God wants you to do. That's not true. The Apostle Paul himself 
was a single man for as long as we knew him in the Bible. He may have been married before, we don't know, but for sure, but he was single the whole time we know anything about him in the Bible. So singleness is, you know, that's, that's something that God has for people, okay? But I'll tell you this about marriage. Marriage is one of God's ways of knocking all the rough edges off your life. <laughs> You know, it's just one of those things that God uses to help sanctify us and, and change us. And all of you who have been married for any length of time, you're over there like, mm-hmm, yes, you're not telling me anything new because that's what happens. It's just one of those things that God uses. So that's a fun example and a good example, but there are so many other things that happen to us that we would consider difficult struggles, trials, evil, bad, whatever it is. And what this verse is telling us, verse 28, is that somehow God takes all of that and brings good out of it. And if you want to know what the ultimate good is, the ultimate good is to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he's doing. Okay, I gave you three questions last week. I'm going to read those again. So if you didn't get them last week, here they are. But when you're thinking about the good God... And we're going to connect that today to his purpose for you. That's where these questions come from. So I'm going to give you three just challenging, difficult questions, things you probably did not wake up thinking about today, but I'd like for you to think about them now. Okay, here's question number one. Is the cause of Christ greater than your need for safety? Is the cause of Christ greater than your need for safety? We might say other things too. Is the cause of Christ greater than your need for possessions or safety or, I had it number three last week, yeah, yeah, okay. I had it number three last week, but it's number one for us this week, okay. But that's where I want you to start thinking because if you think of it and answer that question, it's like bringing his purpose down to your level, bringing his heavenly purpose down to earth where it's supposed to be worked out. In, in other words, is it, is it more important that we do what he wants us to do in this world, that we fulfill that purpose than it is for us to kind of make our own way towards safety, comfort, happiness? I mean, we are Americans, right? We have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what our Constitution says. But our Bible adds this, or our Bible said this way before there was a Constitution. Jesus gave the words. If anyone will follow me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. That's a whole different level right there. So let's start there with that question. Is the cause of Christ greater than your need for safety? Here's the second question. Is the gospel of Jesus worthy of your sacrificial love for others? Is the good news of Jesus Christ, is his message, is the, is the fact that people find out about him, is that worthy of your sacrificial love for other people. Now, it's only a sacrifice if it costs something, right? I mean, if it just happens to occur, then that's not really sacrificial. Sacrificial means it costs something. But is the gospel, is the story of Jesus, the good news of him, about him, is that worthy of sacrificial love? Number three, are you willing to open your hands and your heart to be poured out for the sake of Christ? Are you willing to open your hands and your heart to be poured out for the sake of Christ? I pulled that out of Matthew chapter 5, if you want to go back and read that first chapter of, of the Sermon on the Mount. But that's really where I get this idea of open hands and an open heart. Uh, I, I know I explain this from time to time, but you can go through life like this with your fist. Where you hold on to everything, you try to keep everything, it's yours, you got it. Leave me alone, this is mine. You can go through life like that. 
Or you can go through life like this with an open hand. But it's only if you go through life like this that you can receive something from God and you can give something away. So you receive it from God and you offer it to others. Someone said this, it might have been Andy Stanley years ago, and I, I never forgot it. He said, just because it came to you doesn't mean it's for you. Just because it came to you doesn't mean it's for you. So if your hands are open and God puts it in your hands, it might be for you. You know, that might be something you're supposed to deal with or keep or use or whatever. But it might be that God put that in your hands for you to share with someone else or to give to someone else. But you won't know if you go through life like this. You can't receive and you can't give. So this is the other way. So what I'm asking you to think about is are you willing to open your hands and your heart to be poured out for the sake of Jesus? I know it goes against what some people just, the way they live, okay? I know it just goes against the grain. But what Jesus said was if you want to find your life, you have to give it away. You don't find life by self-fulfillment, by trying to get what you can and, and, and gain all of these things and let me just do what makes me happy. That's not how you find life. Jesus said, if you want to find life, you've got to give it away. You've got to give it away for my cause, my purpose. And that's a whole, it goes against what, what seems natural to you, but that's the way you find life. That's the way you find joy. That's the way you find satisfaction. If you need an illustration of that, Jesus walked up and down the Jordan River. Okay, and the Jordan River starts at the Sea of Galilee, which is this huge lake. And out of the south side of that lake comes this river, and that's known as the Jordan River. And it flows down to something called the Dead Sea. Okay, there's a reason it's called the Dead Sea. Nothing lives in it. You know, it's the saltiest, lowest point on the planet, and, and nothing good, nothing you would ever want to eat or whatever lives there. Uh, you can't really drown in there if you tried. You know, you jump in the Dead Sea, you float because it's so salty. Um, if you want to look that up, you can see pictures of people doing that. The Sea of Galilee, that big lake, it's beautiful. That's where the disciples of Jesus used to fish, and people still fish there to this day. But the Sea of Galilee has water, it has a stream that comes in and a lake that flows out. So it's always receiving, it's always sending out. And that keeps the Sea of Galilee fresh and good and life-giving. But when it flows down the same water to the Dead Sea, the water comes in, the water never goes out. So it just gets stagnant and salty and nothing can live there. Okay, that, That's your illustration. This is the Dead Sea and this is the Sea of Galilee. That's what it is. If you go through life like this, it's the Dead Sea. It's like the lowest place on earth. You're trying to keep everything for yourself and you'll never really be happy and satisfied because that's not the way you were made to live. But if you go through life like the Sea of Galilee, like this, you're always receiving, always giving. And can I tell you, there'll always be enough. You'll never run out. I promise. I, I don't know how that gets fulfilled in your life, but that's just a promise. If you go through your life in faith with your hand open saying, God, whatever you want to bring to me, bring to me. Show me how to do it. Whatever it is, God, I'll, I'll receive it from you. And then I'll, I'll use it the way you want me to use it in this world. I'm not just talking about money. That's just a small part of it. But if you're always willing to do that, there'll always be enough. And, and if you need an example outside of that, because people think money when I start using words like that. I don't want you to think like money. <clears throat> Let me give you an example of what I do when I, when I preach and when I teach from the Bible. Sometimes during the week, something will hit me. You know, it's like, oh, I see something in the Scripture I've never seen before. And when that happens, you know, I attribute that to God. You know, God, the Spirit's helping me understand something new from the Bible. I never hold that stuff back. 
Like I never, I'm reading something, I go, oh, that's great. I'll wait till Easter. I'm going to tell people this, you know. Never. I never wait. I never plan it like I'm going to share that later. If something happened this week that was new, kind of a revelation to me, something I'd never seen, then I just take it that God wants me to share that with you this week. <clears throat> and so I don't save it. <clears throat> it's not like a good thing to hold on to until later. I just go ahead and do it. And can I tell you, that never, that well never runs dry because there will always be something else. It'll always be more. So I, whatever I've received, I give, and then I'll receive more later. And it always works that way. And so when you're, when you're doing those things that you're supposed to do in the world, whatever it is for you, just whatever you've received, go ahead and give it because you'll never run out. You'll always have enough. There's, there's only one who's ever promised to provide everything that you actually need, right? And that's God. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's the only one that's promised that. No one else can do that. No one else. Only God. All right. So let's connect this to your purpose. All right. And over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to walk through these verses and do this. But let's connect all of this to your purpose because that's what the scripture is talking about. This good that God brings, that's connected to God's purpose in the world. So you becoming like Christ, that you being conformed to the image of his son, that's part of God bringing about his ultimate purpose in the world. That's how that works. So, so you need this good. In some way or another, you need to face these things. You need to do these things. You need to go through these things. So you become more like Christ, and God's purpose gets fulfilled in the world. Now, here, here's what I try to do. I said, okay, let me just think about this. What happened in the Bible? What examples do we have? Let me start at the beginning. The first one I think about is the first man, okay? What terrible thing happened to the first man who ever walked this planet? Well, you could say, well, he sinned. Well, if that's true, that was really bad. It affected us all. We're still living with the consequences today. But how about this? The first father in the whole world his eldest son became a murderer. How's that go over family gatherings, right? First father in the world, first son, his eldest son kills his brother. And, and you just, you know, you just think of that and you go, how can any good be anywhere in that? Why can't that just be something we forget about and we put away? But somehow or another... In God's ultimate purpose for, you know, 4,000 years, that's been a living example. It's been a teaching point for us. And it, if you want some doctrine to that, Adam sinned. His son was born fallen. If you need any evidence of that, he became the first murderer. And if you want to trace it down in Genesis, what did God say would happen if Adam sinned? He said, you'll surely die, right? God said, if you do this, you'll die. And just, just read through Genesis, and this is what happens. It traces the generations, and at the end of each person's life, it says this, and he died. And it, it's not just saying it because it wants to close the book on one person and then talk about the next person. It's just it's laying out the evidence. Adam sinned, and everybody dies. They get some time in this world, and then guess what happens? They die. If death is the ultimate proof of sin. Paul will pick that up later in the New Testament, and he'll say, if you've got any doubt about it, we've all sinned. Here's the proof. We all die. Okay? Death is the consequence of sin. And so here's Adam. His son is a murderer. As awful as that is, somehow 
there's still some good, there's still some teaching, there's still something in there for the world to see in this awful thing that happened in Adam's life. Maybe it didn't make sense to him at the time. Maybe he didn't want to think about it anymore, but we're still learning from it even to this day. Well, just keep going from Adam. How about David? When David was a young man, he had a king. His king was named Saul. And as David began to just simply do the things that God wanted him to do in this world, his king went crazy. And there was a day when a young man named David walked before his king. He was asked a few questions, and literally the king took a spear and tried to pin David to the wall. David had to run for his life. Now, how do you how do you process that as a young man? You know, you're just trying to do what God wants you to do, and this person who has authority over you, who is your king, that you're just trying to serve, literally tried to pin you to the wall with a spear, and you had to run for your life. How do you deal with that? What good comes out of that? And then you follow David's life and you see what happens to him and you see how he has to run and how he has to struggle, how he has to fight to survive. And, and that makes him into the warrior that he's going to be when he becomes king. And it started with something really bad that happened in his life. I know there was more backstory on that, but that was one of those pivotal moments. How about this? David commits sin. He has an infant son that dies, infant child that dies. What good can come out of that? I've used this um, illustration more than once through the years because anytime a child dies, you know, someone's going to ask the question, well, do, do infants and children, do they go to heaven? I mean, because, you know, we talk about believing in Jesus and confessing Christ and being baptized and all these things. Well, what about, what about little children? What about someone who's seven days old? What about that? And I said, you know what? There's an example in the Bible of that. And it, and it is King David. And when his child was born, he, he fasted, he prayed, he wept, he cried. And then someone, the servants were afraid to come in and tell him that the child had died. They said, if this is David now, what's it going to be like when we tell him the child passed away? But they did. They told David. And when they did, he got up and he cleaned himself and he, he went and he ate and he just began to, to move forward. And, and that shocked people. And this is what David said. While the child was alive, there was hope. So he prayed. He said, he will not return to me, but I will go to him. That's what David said about the child. And, and that's a wonderful illustration of a wonderful truth of how little children, if they pass away, if they die, they go to heaven. And they won't come back to us, but we can go to them. Now, that, I'm telling you that today because that's been powerful in many people's lives. People need to hear that. That's the kind of good that's still being worked out in the world through David's example and through David's life. And I don't know that David ever could have understood that at the time he was going through it. But, but something he had to go through is something that is still helping people today. That, that's a way in which God brings good from all things. Sometimes we get to see it in our own lives. Sometimes we see it in other people's lives. How about this one? I went over to the New Testament and you go straight to Paul. The Apostle Paul. God calls him. He serves God. He's doing nothing but trying to honor God with his life. And he keeps getting beaten, arrested, and thrown into jail. That's his life. Now, if you've read closely in the New Testament, you know this about Paul. Even before he went to the first place to, to be the minister that God made him to be, even before he went to the first place, he was told... Ananias went to him, and, and, and God said, You go speak to Paul, Ananias, and I will show him the things he must suffer for me. So he knew up front 
He knew up front what was going to happen. And then sure enough, you follow Paul's life, and that's what's happening. He's serving God. He's trying to honor God, and he keeps having to suffer these things. And sometimes his suffering is the very thing that opens the door for what's next for him. Let me give you the last example with Paul. Rome was the largest, most influential city in the world. Paul wanted to go there to preach the gospel, in part because it's the largest, most influential city in the world. He wanted to go as a preacher. Instead, he went as a prisoner, right? Something bad happened. He got arrested. He was taken there as a prisoner. But that's what got him there. And that's how God began to work in the city of Rome through the life of Paul, through something that we would all say was bad. And that's the good that comes out of it. Uh, let me do one more New Testament, and I'll give you one last one that I talked about last week a little bit. John the Baptist. One of the worst things that ever happened to John the Baptist was not just the fact that he was beheaded, but it was how that whole thing went down. You remember that story? So John the Baptist, late in his life, he gets arrested. Uh, he's been doing nothing but what God called him to do in this world, but he gets arrested, and um, Herod's thrown a party, and a young girl gets up and dances, and Herod says, you know, I'll give you whatever you want. And she goes to her mother, and her mother says, you tell him to bring me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. These people were bad. <laughs> you know, these people were just bad. And, and Herod does it. Herod does it. So here's John the Baptist. He's arrested. He's been a prophet. He's been sharing the things God wanted him to share. And he's about to meet his end in earthly life, he's going to be beheaded because of the stupid thing that happened at a party. How does any good come out of that? And, th and that's what happens to a lot of us. You know, we, we something bad, we're facing something bad, or we see it in someone else's life, and we just look around and we go, how can there be any good in this? What good could come out of this? We don't understand. And yet Paul tells us in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God does these things. And we know that he brings good from all things, not some things, but all things. And what I'd like for you to say today with me, this kind of in your mind, is, God, you are so much bigger. And I may not be able to see it from where I stand, but I'm going to believe that somehow this thing that I'm going through, this thing that I'm facing, somehow you're going to do exactly what this verse says. You're going to bring good from it even if I don't understand it. And it's because you're the good God. You're the good God. You remember Joseph. We talked a little bit about Joseph last week. When he's a young man, a young lad, his brothers hate him, and they sell him into slavery. And after he's sold into slavery, things still don't go well for him. Uh, but eventually... God turns all that around, raises Joseph up to really the most powerful man in all of Egypt. He was the guy that, that had the keys, that controlled the food, and in seven years of famine, it seemed like the whole world came to Egypt to stay alive. And Joseph was the reason that Egypt even had food. And his brothers show up, and they don't recognize him, but Joseph knows who they are. And, and here's Joseph looking at his brothers, and he gets their story, and he says, you go back home, you get your father, you come back. And they do. And they still don't know who Joseph is, but he knows them. And when they all come back, he just breaks down. And he lets his brothers know who he is. And then he says these just unbelievable words to his brothers who sold him. What you meant for evil, God meant for good.
And the thing that just strikes me about that story is we're not talking about one day or one week or even one rough year for Joseph. We're talking about the majority of his life, the harm that was done to him when he was a kid that led to an entirely different kind of life, that ultimately God was going to work all of that for good and not only save Joseph's family, but who knows how many other lives as well. That's the kind of good that was brought out of it. It is staggering to think about the impact that it had. But I've just given you a few of the highlights, okay? You can go through the Bible and find stories like this from front to back. This is how God does it. He takes the people and all the things that he allows them to go through, and he somehow shifts that around and makes his purpose seen in the world. And that's true of you, just like it was of Paul, just like it was of Joseph, just like it was of David, just like it was of Adam. It's true of you as well. Even though you don't see it, and you say, but I'm not important. Those are all famous people in the Bible. Well, they weren't famous people in the Bible when it happened. They were just people when it happened, just like you and me. And somehow God's going to take that and weave it into the pattern of his purpose. My pastor growing up used to have a, a, a phrase. He called everything father filtered. You know how we filter coffee? I'm a coffee person, you know. You put the coffee in there, the water comes through, and then you wind up with the great coffee. It's a filter. And he used to explain that everything that comes into our life has been filtered by the father. It's all father filtered. There's nothing that happens to you today or will ever happen to you in the future that somehow got by God, that he didn't notice it, that he wasn't aware of it, that, you know, the devil kind of snuck one in on you. No, nothing like that. Anything that's been allowed to come into your life has been filtered by him. So he either sent it or he allowed it to happen. And if he sent it or allowed it to happen, it's because he has a purpose in it. And I'll tell you what part of that purpose is, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's why. Now, if you'll take that to heart, it'll change the way you see what comes into your life. Because you don't have to look at what happens and go, this is okay, it's good. It may not be okay, and it may not be good. But there is a greater purpose in it as far as God is concerned. He's making you more of what you should be in this world, and he's doing that for his greater purpose. And we may not get to understand all of that until we get to heaven, but that's how it works. Now, here's what I want to do. I'm going to do this real quick. Does anyone remember the song, Trust His Heart? It was a Babby Mason song from years ago. This is the chorus. Let me just read it to you real quick. It's, it says, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. That's beautiful, isn't it? Trust his heart. You can go YouTube that or something later today and listen to that song. You may not be able to understand this thing that's so close to you. But trust his heart, that he is the good God, and that's what he's doing in your life. So I gave you those three questions today. Let me just kind of finish that up at the end. So if the question is, is the cause of Christ greater than your need for safety or possessions or money or any of those things, then our answer can be something like this. Yes, God, I will risk for you. My safety my possessions, my money, whatever it is, I'll put that on the table for you because the cause of Christ is greater than that. 
Question number two was, is the gospel of Jesus worthy of your sacrificial love? Our answer can be, yes, God. So I will love. And I'll love in that way, even if it's going to cost me. And if the third question is, are you willing to open your hands and your heart and be poured out for the sake of Christ? Our answer can again be, yes, Lord. I will offer for you. I'll offer my time. I'll offer my ability. I'll offer my talents. I'll offer my money. Whatever it is, I will offer it for you. You'll say something like the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 2, where we started this service. Even if I'm being poured out like an offering, I do it with joy. So have joy with me. Because life is found in giving it away. So in these next few moments, we're going to stand. We're going to pray. I'd like for you to have a little time just to talk to God about those things. If he stirred something in your mind, if he's brought something to your attention, that's the thing you need to talk to him about. You don't have to have it all worked out right now. You don't need to have all the answers right now. Just, just talk to God about that thing. So you can give him those answers. Because he's the good God. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for loving us. You call us to do these things. You're going to move us, we believe, in a way that makes us more like your son. And I realize that for every person in this room, there's something going on right now, and, and the ultimate purpose is to make them more of what you want them to be in this world. So help us to say yes to you. Help us to bring these things before you. Help us to receive these things and get these things. The way that I'm with you. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.